One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Today we have a crazy nuclear revenge story on a cheating stepmom. We'll get into that in a bit, but first, my professor stole my work. My revenge blew him away. Some years back, I decided that I wanted to switch to working as a professor. I have always believed that teaching is my life's profession, and at the time, I was already a high school teacher, but I wanted to get my master's degree, a doctorate, and become a college professor. I have always loved literature because of how it helps us see the world and understand humans from different perspectives, and at some point, my philosophical explanations and analysis of high school literature were starting to confuse my poor students. I decided then that it was time for an upgrade. Left to me, I never would have taught in a high school. I found high schoolers very annoying, whiny, and maybe as they should be, childish. I also knew just how mean students were to teachers in high school, and I didn't want to have that experience. When I started to hear the kids call me nicknames and giggle and exchange funny faces in my class, I just knew I wanted to get out of there. Generally, I believed that college was a place where my unique perspective on life and literature would be appreciated better. I spoke to my aunt who taught a course on body anatomy at a university in the city and told her about my plans to teach in a university too. While she encouraged me to pursue my dreams, she was a bit concerned about how I was going to be able to afford tuition and all of that. Getting a master's degree can be very time consuming, she said. If you want to get a job as a professor, you must demonstrate your academic excellence, and that means finishing up with very good grades. I shrugged and said, I can do that. I did very well in college, and I did not doubt that I'd make good grades in graduate school. She said, I like your confidence, but how is that going to work with your full-time job as a teacher? If you want to do very well, you must be willing to quit your job. I said, I can't. I need the money to survive. They said, have you considered asking your mom and dad? I decided I was going to do just that. My parents squeezed out a lot of money for my college education and were kind of disappointed when I went on to become a high school teacher. I figured telling them that I was now back to my senses and wanted to be a college professor would excite them and make them give me a loan at least. No way! That was my mom's response when I told her about my plans to go to graduate school. I said, what? She said, there is no way your dad and I are giving you that money. Dad said, you heard your mother, son. She said, listen, your dad and I are retiring next year. All we want right now is a big vacation after our retirement and enough money to take good care of ourselves. I said, but it's a loan. She said, you're going to have to find another way. I felt bad that my parents turned me down, but I didn't resent them. My parents had done the best they could do for my older sister and me. They ensured we got our first college degrees and made sure they provided for us enough that we didn't have to get extra jobs in school. I got jobs in different points in college, but it was to afford certain luxuries and buy gifts for my girlfriend. About a month later, as the deadline for registration grew near, my dad called me. One of his friends, who was a retired professor, knew a literature professor who needed a teaching assistant, and I was perfect for the job. You may also get to be directly employed by the school and maybe even make tenure in a short while, my dad said. Thank you, dad. I promise I'll make you proud. I went for the teaching assistant interview after arming myself with enough knowledge about the professor I was supposed to work with. From what I heard and read about him, he was the kind of person who enjoyed hearing people's different perspectives. He was not a rigid teacher at all, and didn't mind his students holding contrary opinions. He also didn't like when they echoed his opinions back to him. 
He encouraged everyone to form and hold on to their own solid opinions. I was glad when I learned all that about him. That was the kind of professor I wanted to be anyway. So it gladdened my heart to know that that kind of person could be my mentor. I went in for the interview and showed up as my most confident, authentic self. I got the job and was to resume work after three weeks. I needed the three weeks to inform my then employers at the high school that I was leaving. I resumed graduate school shortly after and resumed duties as the teaching assistant of one of my professors. Since we already had a relationship, I chose him as my preferred supervisor for my master's thesis. After I started working for him, I noticed how informal he was. He wasn't the kind of person to keep work relationships strictly formal. He would invite me for dinner with his family. While I loved his stepdaughter, his wife was sort of standoffish and would speak to me in a condescending tone sometimes. I didn't bother about it though because she spoke to her husband in that tone too. Plus, rumor had it that she wore the pants in their marriage since she made more money. Also, she kept calling me by a name that wasn't mine but sounded similar to mine. Whenever I corrected her, she'd shrug and just go on to say whatever she wanted to. My professor was nice to everyone, but something just felt off about his family, even about him. He was just extremely nice to everyone, and he went out of his way to do things for others. In my experience, people who do that have something to hide. I knew he wasn't nearly as nice and sweet as everyone thought he was when I submitted a proposed topic for my master's thesis. This is an unusual topic. It is certainly something I'd love to read. She permitted me to go on and write the abstract and introductory part for his approval. I went on to do research, read books, and spend so much time on topics that were related to the proposed topic. When I was finished with the abstract, I gave it to him for his review. A few weeks later, he informed me that he'd read my abstract and the introductory part, but thought the topic was a bit too unconventional and might upset people. I was surprised because my professor was the kind of person who loved and enjoyed exploring aspects of literature that people hardly ever touched on. But since he was my supervisor and boss, I figured I'd just agree with him, so I didn't push it. Instead, I went to choose a different topic. I chose a different topic, but he rejected that too. You must be careful about the stuff you write on. People hate too much change. They hate to be called out like this. I didn't see how that topic was too far out of line, but I accepted his suggestion to change the topic, and I did that anyway. As my professor's teaching assistant, he sometimes let me use his computer to compile the essays and assignments from his undergraduate students into a single file so he can easily access them. One afternoon, I was doing my usual compilation when I noticed an email from an academic journal I'd always hoped I'd publish my work in the future. Usually, I'd never have checked the email because it was my boss's private email, not an email from one of his students, but I noticed that the email carried the topic of the first topic I proposed to my professor. The topic was written in a bracket. I opened the email and it contained a message from the journal telling him that they had approved his essay for publication in their journal. In the thread of their emails, I saw that he'd sent them a message pitching the essay topic to them and even mentioning points that I had made when I tried to defend the first topic to him. He then sent another email with a document attached, and the document contained the abstract and short introduction that I had written. I was shocked that he could and would do something like that. He just never struck me as someone who'd object a topic I'd come up with just so he'd be the one to write on it. It just didn't make sense. Also, if he wanted it published and his name affiliated, he could have suggested that we both work together and publish with both our names. I went to their house the afternoon of the next day, ready to confront him with what I had found out. 
You look upset. Is everything all right? His wife asked, looking unusually calm. She was normally condescending and outrightly rude. I explained what had happened, and she smiled and asked me to wait for her. She was going to wake him up from his nap. I waited for nearly an hour before they both came. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Came down. When they finally did, I was going to start talking when my professor interrupted me. I apologize for the misunderstanding, he started. This isn't quite a misunderstanding. I wish you'd have told me that. I saw his wife roll her eyes and pause. How much can we pay to make this all go away? I said, what? They said, you're a graduate student earning peanuts from being a TA. Surely a fat check should make up for one silly abstract and an introduction. I noticed that my professor tried to interrupt her, but she didn't let him and kept talking. So, shall I proceed to write you that check? I nodded yes, pretending to be ashamed, and took a piece of paper from her husband and handed it to me. I was shocked. They had already written the check, knowing that I was going to accept it from them. I left their house that day feeling very ashamed. I expected that when I resumed work the next week, my professor would be ashamed of his behavior and offer an apology. Maybe even shift the blame on his wife and declare that he'd decline the offer to publish in that journal, but he didn't do that. He started to behave as though the idea and introductory part were entirely and originally his. I knew I was going to get back at him and his evil wife when one day, he called to ask if I could offer insight on the essay he was writing. My essay. He was essentially asking me to do the whole work. I offered to write the essay for him so he could do the editing, and I did. I then compiled the introductory part I had written earlier, compiled it with the body of the essay, and sent it to a random magazine for publishing. The magazine was not an academic one, but they were willing to make space for my work. They published the essay just a few days before my professor had his essay published in that journal. Weeks later, the magazine reached out to me informing me that someone else had plagiarized my work and had published it in an academic journal. I revealed what had happened and permitted them to write an article about it. I knew what I had done was going to cost me my teaching assistant job, but I didn't mind. I applied to the academic office to have my supervisor changed, and that severed my relationship with the professor. The journal found out about what had happened, put out a disclaimer, and gave me credit for my work. That made me very happy, and while the school never punished him for his actions, His reputation got soiled because of the article the magazine had written about him and the disclaimer. 
Honestly, regardless of what field this is taking place in, somebody that publishes an article like that and clearly is plagiarizing a student? They deserve to be barred from the greater community. Nobody should be willing to collaborate with this guy. Nobody should be allowing him to establish himself any ounce of credibility. Definitely wouldn't want them to continue in a professor role when they have a history of stealing from their students. This next story is never attack a family of hackers. Never. Our family had always been masters of the digital realm. It was just what we did and you could be sure that we were darn good at it at least for those that were interested in being a part of our involvement. This is why you should know that the story I'm about to share with you was something that seemed out of the ordinary. We thrived in the shadows, maintaining our secret lives while projecting the image of an ordinary suburban family. I, Cypher, spent my days as a mild-mannered software engineer, Firewall, my brilliant wife, was a cybersecurity consultant, and Byte, our teenage daughter, balanced the challenges of high school and her covert hacking education. The rest of our extended family, well, you can say that they were not so much fans of what we do, or rather what they thought we do, but that is not the point of the story. What is? Well, here it is. One fateful evening, just as we were settling down for dinner, a notification chimed on my workstation signaling that I had a pop-up notification. The message was chilling in its simplicity, a stark warning from a malicious sender and a countdown timer. I knew the trademark that I saw, so I was quick to realize that it was not a joke. I mean, to have been able to send the message, it was obvious that it was not a joke. It was Phantom, the ruthless cyber criminal organization, and for some reason, their gaze was on us. Fear gnawed in my gut in that instant as I hastily disconnected our devices from the internet while shouting to my people about the kind of attack we were under. Firewall was the first to act, her fingers dancing across the keyboard, launching security protocols that we'd reserved for the darkest of scenarios. Byte, usually the curious and cheeky one, suddenly found herself thrust into a perilous world she had only read about in books and seen in movies. The room filled with tension as we realized the severity of the threat. The thing is, Phantom wasn't just another adversary, they were a cyber-criminal empire of formidable magnitude. Their motives were shrouded in darkness, and we had made it a point not to be involved in anything that concerned or affected them. For our safety both digitally and physically, but in that instant, I knew all of it was gone. All of the peace that I thought we had. But amidst all that, there was the lingering fear that Phantom might strike again. I thought it was a me thing, that I was the only one being paranoid. Turns out my babe was too. As the days passed, the decision became clear. We couldn't just hide and hope to escape their grasp, so we decided it was time to take the battle into our own hands. Sitting around the dimly lit table in our makeshift command center, we initiated the next phase. It was a family decision, a pact forged in determination we would unleash our hacking skills like never before, infiltrate Phantom's Fortress, and unveil the faces behind the masks. Pretty stupid of us to think this was something that they could pull off, but we knew that once the search for the faces behind the Phantom group was out there, the air of dominance would reduce. By extension, that meant that we would be safe from their attacks. Our first step was to gather a team. We needed allies with specialized skills to outmaneuver the cunning and elusive Phantom. Firewall, ever the strategist, devised a list of potential recruits. A cryptographer for deciphering the encrypted messages, 
an insider with knowledge of the criminal underworld, and a social engineer skilled in manipulating human psychology. With our newfound purpose, we began the quest to assemble our team, reaching out to the shadowy corners of the digital world where hackers and allies with a thirst for justice lurked. Going off the grid was our only path to survival. We erased our digital footprints, adopting new identities as we vanished from the digital world that had been our domain. But the thing is that life on the run required more than just new names. We learned to navigate a labyrinth of aliases, always one step ahead of the digital eyes that hunted us. The transition from an ordinary suburban existence to a covert one was jarring. Firewall, the strategist, organized our new lives with meticulous detail. Byte, adapting with remarkable resilience, became the family's eyes and ears in the digital wilderness. The three of us honed our skills to stay under the radar, mastering the art of stealth and blending into the shadows of society while Phantom's organization hunted us relentlessly. Our suburban home became a distant memory as we learned to live covertly, always ready to adapt to the next safe haven and the next digital battle. We could not be certain that they did not get our identities from the attack. I mean, I thought I was fast enough to fend it off, but I was sure that they got away with certain data. I was scared that they would find a way to trace it to a name, to our names. It was like they knew what we were up to and were on a chase to get us in the act in a way that we could not defend ourselves. But they should have known that we would not back down easily. They had to have known. With new identities and life on the run, our relentless pursuit of Phantom continued. Myself, Firewall, and Bite were no longer just a suburban family. We had evolved into a formidable force, each driven by a singular purpose, unveiling Phantom's identity and motives and dismantling their malicious empire. Our investigation was a dance of shadows. Firewall initiated the hunt, using her consulting connections to gather intelligence on Phantom's digital footprints. We traced their operations back to the darkest corners of the internet. Each breadcrumb led us deeper into the heart of their web, but it was no easy feat. Phantom was skilled at concealing their tracks. To infiltrate their network, Byte deployed her hacking prowess, breaching layers of encryption and firewalls that guarded Phantom's secrets. The digital battlefield became our realm. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. And we ventured deeper into the maze of data, intent on exposing the heart of darkness. The hunt for Phantom became an obsession, an insatiable thirst for retribution. The closer we came to unmasking the enigmatic Phantom, the more elusive their true identity and motives became, leaving us to confront the chilling reality that our battle was far from over. The bitter part was the fact that adversaries lurked around every corner, waiting to strike. The stakes rose with each passing day, and personal rivalries, betrayals, and high-stakes confrontations became the norm. Yet, as we navigated the labyrinth world of hackers and criminals, we crossed paths with formidable adversaries. These encounters tested our skills and resolve. It was during these battles that Firewall's strategic mind and Byte's youthful audacity shone. We quickly learned that in this shadowy world, 
trust was a precious currency, and betrayal could be a swift and bitter knife in the back. Rival hackers, envious of our determination and skill, sought to outwit and outmaneuver us. You would think that a placard with our name and a bounty was passed by these guys. But in truth, people were just out to be in the good favor of the phantom organization. The digital battles were relentless, each one more intense than the last. In the world of hackers, alliances were fragile, and loyalties were constantly shifting. Our battles weren't just about confronting adversaries, they were about surviving in an ever-changing landscape. As the confrontations escalated, we confronted the darker side of the digital world. The thirst for vengeance had a way of transforming allies into adversaries, testing the limits of our determination. The pursuit of Phantom and the relentless battles that followed led my family into a complex web of ethical dilemmas. In our quest for retribution, the lines between right and wrong became increasingly blurred. Firewall, Bite, and I found ourselves wrestling with inner conflicts that seemed insurmountable. It got to a point where heated debates within us were a common occurrence. Firewall, with her unwavering moral compass, often questioned the ethicality of our actions. Bite, driven by youthful determination, sometimes advocated for a more ruthless approach. I, torn between the desire for justice and the fear of becoming as ruthless as our adversaries, found myself in a constant state of moral flux. Our pursuit of Phantom tested the very core of our principles. As we hacked, manipulated, and navigated the treacherous criminal underworld, we couldn't help but wonder if we'd become the monsters we sought to defeat. The ethical dilemmas weighed heavily on our minds, threatening to tear our family apart, even as we inched closer to unmasking the enigmatic phantom. But as quickly as it started, we had put an end to the whole shenanigans. The showdown was a culmination of years of pursuit, where we hoped to unmask the mastermind behind the malevolent empire. Hidden safely out of usual human expectation, we launched our final assault, a digital battleground that felt like a vortex, pulling us into the heart of the storm. The tiptoeing we had done was a test run to see how well we could attack and defend ourselves at the same time. Each time we did, we were sure to scrap out everything important to give allowance for the worst possible scenario. But this final one, we knew this was the last battle. Attack or be attacked. Kill or be killed. Firewall, ever the strategist, led the charge, unleashing her arsenal of cyber defenses. Bite, with her youth and audacity, executed precision attacks, hacking through layers of firewalls and encryptions. The hacking duel was intense, a symphony of key presses, code, and determination. Our pursuit had led us here, and our desire for justice burned brightly. As the battle reached its climax, the shadows around Phantom began to dissipate, revealing not a faceless villain but a human being, someone with a past and motivations that defied our expectations. The digital battlefield raged on, and with each passing moment, Phantom's identity became clearer, as did their motives. Our relentless pursuit led to a revelation that exposed the human behind the mask, a person whose journey into the criminal underworld had been fueled by a deep well of pain and revenge. Unsurprisingly, outside of the front of the devices, there was just one key person, and you would never have expected such a person. Not in the looks, not in the attitude, not in anything. With Phantom's true identity unveiled, we orchestrated a takedown operation that sent shockwaves through the cyber-criminal organization. As the dominoes fell, one by one, the Empire crumbled. 
But the fallout was not limited to just Phantom. The organization's members, some driven by desperation, others by greed, faced the consequences of their actions. Our actions had not only revealed the mastermind but had left the entire network in disarray. It was a bittersweet victory, one where justice was served but at a great cost to those who had been caught in the web of crime. But the truth is that some days, I feel like the one we thought was the head was really just a pawn, a contingency plan if things go wrong at any time. I still find it hard to believe that the sole person that people feared was an undergrad, it just doesn't make sense. However, whether it did or not, the important part was that we got them out. The one thing about the lifestyle I dragged my family into is that it prides itself on anonymity. Once that shred of coverage is gone, you are pretty much toast. Luckily for us, we were able to leave the whole saga unharmed. It was just a dent in the couple of months that we had to stay off and isolated for fear of the Phantom organization. I just love that OP had this immaculate description of everything, like this is some huge cyber battle, like you're imagining lightsabers and ray guns and things. And then you could probably cut to them in their house during this raging battle and it's just... And the enigmatic Phantom's true identity is unveiled. Our next story is, stepmom cheats on my dad, so I get rid of her. You know that feeling you get when you don't like someone? That weird vibe you get from people which tells you that they're bad news? Well, lots of people tend to ignore that vibe. I mean, I understand. It's weird, right? Meeting someone for the first time and just decide in your head that you don't like the person. They like to give said people the benefit of the doubt and just see where that leads. But have you ever noticed that it always ends badly? Those people you get the I don't like you vibes from always tend to mess up and you'll eventually regret giving them that benefit of the doubt in the first place. One of the things I've learned early in life is the ability to trust myself. Whenever my gut tells me to stay away from someone, I stay away from them. I'm not going to claim that I was right 100% of the time. Of course, I've lost potential friends because of this. I've alienated a lot of people who could have made an impact in my life. But in the long run, I've stayed away from people who could have brought me harm. And I've never been wrong about the small circle of friends I chose to spend my time with. Many people don't understand my philosophy, or they choose not to understand because I'm a high school teenager with no real experience of what life is about, but on an average, I don't care. Why should I care when I don't like or care about most people? The only time I start to have a problem with someone not understanding my point of view is when that someone is my dad. He, like everyone else, thought I was crazy for choosing to live my life as a semi-hermit, This was why he didn't believe me when I told him that the woman he chose to spend the rest of his life with was not good for him. The only time he came around was when I gave him hard and painful proof. This is the story of how I exposed my cheating stepmom to my dad, and so for you to understand, I have to start from the beginning. My parents separated when I was young. Not that young, actually. I was 12. Before then, my house had always been peaceful and lively. I mean, that was what it was at face value. That was what my parents wanted every friend, neighbor, and acquaintance to see. That was what they wanted me to see, but I knew my parents. I had studied them. They were way too different to actually coexist together. They tried for years not to argue or disagree in front of me, but I knew that day was coming, and boy, it came. I came back from school to my dad, dodging the chinaware my mom was throwing at him. If I hadn't been eavesdropping on their conversation, 
I wouldn't have known that it was because of my dad's extracurricular activities with his secretary, Janet. Me walking in on them while they were in that state was what set the entire divorce process in motion. They decided that it wasn't healthy to keep living like that, so they sat me down and told me that they'd been having problems in their marriage. Like I didn't already know that, the whole time during the talk I was thinking, just skip the stories and get to the important parts already. Eventually they did. They said they were taking some time apart to figure things out. That was code word for they were getting a divorce, but I didn't say anything. They agreed that I was going to stay with my dad because mom was traveling to Asia to do some soul searching and I had a life here. School, a few friends and all of that. It just made sense for me to stay there. As soon as the divorce process was finalized, mom left and that was the last time I've seen her till today. We still talk on the phone and chat sometimes, so it's not like she's completely abandoned me. Dad, on the other hand, became more free to carry on with his promiscuous ways. If he wasn't my father, he would have been on the list of people I'd stay away from, but it's kinda difficult seeing that he pays all the bills. He comes home very late at night and sometimes he doesn't come home at all. I was really surprised that he didn't think to bring his secretary to his home, but that only lasted three months after mom left. One evening after a long day at school, I came home to kick back and play some video games. Dad arrived a few hours later, which was supposed to be his usual time for arriving, but hasn't been for a long time. I asked him what the problem was and he told me that he was expecting someone for dinner. I knew immediately that the someone he was expecting for dinner was Janet, his secretary. He told me to be on my best behavior, and I said sure. Dad hadn't cooked in a long time, although I remember a certain period when our family was genuinely happy. Dad used to cook every Sunday. That was years ago, but that day, I watched in surprise as Dad made chicken parmesan and mashed potatoes. When he was done, he asked me to help set the table, and there he told me about our mysterious guest Janet, who he had recently started seeing and liked a lot. Just before we finished setting the table, the doorbell rang, signifying the arrival of my dad's guest. He hurried over to open the door, and I smiled as bright as I could to make her feel welcome. As soon as I set eyes on her, I didn't like her. I couldn't tell if it was the clothes or her hair or how she wore her makeup, but something was off about her and I didn't like it. My dad introduced me and we sat for dinner. Throughout the course of the meal, Janet tried to make conversation with me, and even though I tried to answer as much as I could, I just wasn't feeling it. I tried not to make it very obvious, but if I don't like someone, I don't like someone. After the end of the awkward dinner, Dad escorted her to the driveway, where she got in her car and left. After that, he came back, asking me what my problem was. I told him I picked up a bad vibe from her and I didn't like her. He told me to suck it up because he liked her a lot and I should try to be happy for him. Being the stupid teenager I was, I argued with him, saying that there was something off about her and that he needed to stay away. Of course, he didn't believe me. He told me to keep my conspiracy theories to myself, and so I decided to keep quiet. A week later, she came around for dinner and I told him I won't be able to come down because I was ill. I was lying and I think he knew this too, but he didn't say anything. I guess he was also counting on having a non-awkward dinner with his guest. The next weekend after that, she came for dinner again, and soon enough she started to come over for dinner quite often. I couldn't keep lying that I was ill, so after two consecutive get-out-of-dinner-free cards, I had to join them. Janet tried to get me to warm up to her, but no matter how much she tried, it just wasn't working. Two months after the first time she came for dinner, Dad asked her to move in with us. 
Of course, I was against it, but there was little I could do. At this point, my dad didn't want to hear anything from me, so I didn't say anything. She moved in two weeks after the announcement, and as if that's not shocking enough for me for one day, my dad made another announcement. He was getting married to Janet. At this point, I had given up on trying to convince my dad that Janet wasn't good for him. I had no evidence, and she had been nothing but good to him and me since she joined the family. I was even ready to believe that she was one of the people that I was wrong about. I wanted to believe that I was only jealous because my dad had found someone who made him happy, which meant that the divorce with mom was final and our family was never getting back together again. I tried hard to believe it and somehow, I was able to delude myself into believing it. I mean, the relationship between me and Janet didn't change. I still didn't like her, but at least I learned to tolerate her. They got married and dad was finally happy again. For some reason, he decided that since she was his wife, he wanted her to be a stay-at-home wife. And so she quit her job. Days turned to weeks and weeks into months. During this time, I had decided that I was the jerk for wanting my dad to break off things with her. But soon enough, I discovered that I was right. One bright Wednesday morning, my dad took me to school as usual. It was on the way to his workplace and so it was our routine. A few minutes into the lunch break, I went to check my locker to look through a note in which I'd written down all my ideas for a history class presentation. I knew my teacher. She wouldn't care if I forgot my notes at home. Probably because she thought forgetting my note was code for I didn't do my homework for the presentation. She'd make me come up in front of the class to make a fool of myself. I had no choice. I had to return home to get the note. I hurried home on my friend's bike, and as soon as I saw the weird car in the driveway, I knew something was up. I looked through the kitchen windows to look around and nobody was there. Next, I went to the front door and slipped inside the house without making a noise. Then I went up the stairs straight to my dad's bedroom. I opened the door carefully. Thankfully, it doesn't creak. That was when I saw Janet and some guy that wasn't my dad. I was surprised, but not shocked or sad. In a way, I was relieved. I knew there was something off about her and cheat kinda sums it up. They didn't notice me because they were both facing the other direction and I was really quiet for someone who just caught his stepmom cheating on his dad. I took a short video with my phone and got the heck out of there. I even forgot to take my note. That same night, as soon as dad got home from work, I was too excited to show him my discovery that I didn't wait for dinner like I'd originally planned. I handed him my phone and watched with pure satisfaction as he watched the video in horror. He was so heartbroken and when he confronted her, they had a huge argument, which ended in Janet leaving the house. I can't say I felt bad or sorry for my dad. He kind of deserved it. He should have known that he was setting himself up when he decided to marry the woman who he was cheating with while knowing fully well that he was married. Now, I'm not saying all people in that situation are going to be guaranteed serial cheaters, but if you're getting with somebody and that somebody knows that you are a married man, and this isn't some like open relationship thing or like you're already having troubles, I definitely would say it's common sense that there's at least a greater chance that they would also sleep around in a committed relationship too. Do you guys believe a kind of gut check general radar of a person from like first initial impression? Or do you guys believe that everybody does deserve a real honest chance? I'd like to know what you guys think down in the comments. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now if you want to hear another absolutely crazy revenge story, check out that video on the left. 
or if you missed my latest video, check out that video on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories.